football poop is doing. Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So, Who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Pelizzolo back here with Sam Monson. It's playoff time. Sam, you ready to go? Yeah, let's do it. We'll talk about your special shirt that you're wearing in a minute. But first, they're back. Monkey Knife Fight. The deal has been extended. All first-time depositors at Monkey Knife Fight that put at least 20 bucks into their account while using the promo code PFF will receive a free PFF Edge annual subscription. It's Edge annual season, guys. The draft guide is coming out very shortly. $40 of value for just the 20 bucks you get the opportunity to turn that 20 bucks into even more money playing daily fantasy and prop games at one of the fastest growing fantasy sports sites in the u.s it's monkey knife fight so go to monkey knife fight deposit your 20 dollars, use the promo code pff and, and then you receive your free pff edge annual subscription pretty easy go and do it right now all right let's get into the show let's mm. get into the playoffs it's wild card weekend and we got six games now yeah and you're wearing two more a, you're wearing the buffalo versus pff shirt what's going on there uh i just needed a long sleeve shirt because it was kind of cold today and this was the first one that i came across oh so you didn't break it out just for playoff time or anything like that uh no okay i thought it was i thought it was special i mean it is well it just happened to be in the rotation yeah all right you told me oh man i i listed the games by conference you want to go by order on Saturday and Sunday? Look, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but it feels to me that you should go through Saturday's games first and then Sunday's games first. But, you know. Okay, UB, what's the first game Saturday? UBU. Indy Buffalo? It is. What's second? Second is the Rams versus the Seahawks. And then Tampa Bay football team. And then I got the rest. Okay, great. Okay, let's do that. Okay. Indianapolis at Buffalo. Let's start with this game. And where are you going in this one? Buffalo's hot. Yeah. Um, PFF Daily today, we discussed the best the most complete team in the NFL. Mm -hmm. So I won't completely give away what I said was the most complete team. But, but it's one of these. But it might be one of these two teams. <laughs> so go listen to the PFF NFL Daily. Again, we appreciate everybody because um, we know a lot of our listeners have already subscribed there. But if you haven't, go subscribe to the PFF NFL Daily. We debate the most complete playoff team. But Buffalo's certainly in the mix, Sam, and they're rolling right now. They are. Um, I think whatever about who the best team in the NFL is overall over a 16-game schedule, who's most likely to win the Super Bowl, all these kinds of things, if you count form, if you roll how teams are playing right now into this, I would struggle to look beyond Buffalo as the best team in the NFL right now. Um, and they're now facing an Indianapolis Colts team that you know needed some help to get into the postseason. Uh, Miami had to lose. They had to take care of business against Jacksonville and even then made that kind of a chore. Um, but where it becomes interesting is, you know, the Colts' success against Jacksonville came on the ground. Jonathan Taylor with 253 rushing yards, I think, like 150 after contact, busted through a bunch of tackles. That kind of carried them. You know, those two touchdowns were effectively the difference. Um, 
they're facing a Buffalo Bills team who on defense, like they've been better and they've pulled themselves out of uh, their struggles that they had earlier in the season. And I think they're pretty good at game planning against specific teams, but they, to a degree, in almost invite the run game. Like if you're going to beat them, that's how they want you to do it. On the ground, take your time, uh, death by a thousand paper cuts or a thousand four-yard carries, whatever it is. They kind of want you to run the ball on them, and the Colts desperately want to run the ball on offense because as much as Phillip Rivers has been either good or bad, I think if they could possibly avoid it, they would like to take the ball out of his hands and just have Jonathan Taylor carry this team. Yeah, especially in Buffalo, right? You know, especially yeah. road game. And look, we're, you know us well enough, uh, millions and millions of listeners. We're not going to sit here and tell you January football is about winning on the ground. But I think the theme of there's a theme in six in these six games. We'll talk about Tennessee and Baltimore. The run game is going to be a big part of it. In this game, Indy versus Buffalo, the run game is going to be a big part of it. And your point about, yeah, Buffalo invites the run. Absolutely true. Um, but it's also like you depend on fewer guys to defend the run, and those guys haven't been good. Ed Oliver, on the defensive interior for the Bills, has struggled this year, and that was his. That was where his strength lied in college, right? He was a disruptor, and he he was the guy that was supposed to be Aaron Donald light and quick and getting into the backfield, but he has not been good. He has not had good. Um, I wrote some notes on him from. From some film, what? Should I just read my scouting notes? Is that good, radio? Um, I, I guess it depends what the notes are. Well, he gets Give it a shot. He gets reached far too often. His block recognition is lacking. He's not always finding the ball. His hand usage needs work. That was one thing coming out of college. We said don't ever compare him to Aaron Donald, who has like the best hands in the NFL. Plus, yeah. he's undersized and quick. Oliver doesn't have great technique in general that he's still working on. He gets crushed by double teams, and there are times he just gets too glued to his blocker. He just gets sucked right up. That's to the Colts' advantage, I think if the Colts want to run the ball, they'll be able to. So I think they will have success moving the ball against this Buffalo defense. Yeah, I do too. And that's why in a vacuum otherwise, I think the Bills – I don't think the Colts could even live with the Bills the way the Buffalo is playing right now. If they continue into the playoffs the way they've ended the regular season, the Colts will get blown out. However, if it's going to go their way – this is what they need. They want to be able to run the ball. The Bills kind of like you to run the ball on them. They're inviting the strength of the Colts to have a good day. Um, now, the, the, reason, the, the reason that they want you to do that is because, generally speaking, that's the, the most inefficient way of having offensive success, right? So if you're going to trap a team into doing something, you would like to trap them into being the most inefficient version of themselves. So it's a weird dynamic in that both teams want to do exactly the same thing on one side of the ball or both teams want the both teams want the game to go exactly the same way the Colts would like to establish the run the Bills are only too happy for them to establish the run so how does that pan out if that is indeed what happens which one of them actually ends up getting the best out of that yeah I mean I think if you're the Colts though too as an underdog and what is it six six and a half six and a half, six and a half at this point as an underdog there's two ways of going about it. You're either crazy aggressive and just kind of hope variance lands in your in your lap, or you do run the ball and you know steal a possession here and there and, and, and win in a different way. I also think defensively, the Colts, who like to play a lot of zone, could do a pretty good job against this Bills offense, right? Early in the season, when Josh Allen faced man, when he faces cover one, 
he's dominant. He absolutely 90 passing grade against cover one, against uh, against man coverage, but against cover two, against you know quarters or against cover six. You know those where you in quarters is more man, but like when you actually face zone concepts two, three, and six, Josh Allen's grades are far worse in the 70s or in the 60s. Cover six, 58. So I think the Colts' zone-heavy approach just makes the Bills, uh, it just puts a little bit more pressure on that offense to execute play after play after play, where in, in, in should, in theory, avoid some of those big plays that the Bills have been creating with Stephon Diggs, with Allen, and all that. So I think the Colts have the elements to keep this close. Zone defense plus the run game. Yeah, um, I think their defense generally has been one of the better units in the NFL. I, I mean, again, not to spoil the NFL Daily podcast, and if you haven't already, pause this one, go subscribe to the NFL Daily, you listen it. to it, all those things. Um, not to spoil it again, but one team we didn't mention is the Indianapolis Colts. I think basically because Philip Rivers, right, caps how good you think they can be. But honestly, if you look on both sides of the ball, it's a good team. It's got a good offensive line. It's got a good stable of running backs. Receiver is a question mark, but T.Y. Hilton has started to get himself in shape and uh, together down the stretch. They've got a couple of other weapons. The de- <clears throat> the defense has been consistently good. They've they're good on the back end. They've got disruptor up front in terms of DeForest Buckner. Obviously, not some friend of the show. Darius Leonard in the middle, patrolling things, making some plays. Friend, top to bottom, the Colts are a good team. I think we just dismiss them in that conversation because. Nobody really has faith that Philip Rivers can, you know, elevate his game against guys playing at an all-pro level like Josh Allen. The Colts have been a great team to study over the last couple of years because we've, we always talk about at draft time that they have a very specific type of person. And look at this. I'm getting a call from Indianapolis. Oh, yeah? Here. Do you think hmm. this is... Frank Reich? Do you think it's about the game? Is somebody mm-hmm. calling? Should I... Maybe it's Indy Radio. Maybe some... Oh, sure Pack hope in. Sure hope not. Um, but the way they've acquired players... Right, you know the Kenny Moores of the world, who I love, you know, yeah. outstanding slot corner that they kind of found out of nowhere. <laughs> Kyrie Willis, an underrated safety. Darius Leonard, a small school linebacker. Grover Stewart, small school interior defensive lineman, who's having a breakout season right now. And then, of course, they take a shot on DeForest Buckner and they take a shot on mm-hmm. Xavier Rhodes and try to rejuvenate his career, which they've done. So the way they've they've pieced this together on defense has been great. I think they've got a shot, to your point, to at least slow down the Bills' offense, but. Let's talk about how good the Bills' offense is, right? I mean, we've mentioned over and over, this is the blueprint for building around a young quarterback, and it's all come together. If Josh Allen goes on a, you know, Mahomesian playoff run, will you sign the form? Or are you just... Mahomesian playoff run, maybe. Ooh. Ooh. My negligence to sign the form... That, I'm pretty sure is not the right word. My reluctance... Yeah, there you go. Listen, just cut that out, guys. Yeah, right. Edit. My reluctance to, to sign the form is not so much that he's not playing well or good it's that the analysis and range of outcomes that we had isn't far off he's hit the high end of the range this year so somebody somebody found our pre-draft video discussing josh allen uh, back in the old studio the little table in the, the cupboard yeah um and one of the analogies i used for him was he was an ikea quarterback right which is just this box of parts and somebody had tossed away the instruction manual and honestly, I kind of like that, right? It's not that there was never anything there. The pieces are all there. There is a box in there that can create this, you know, giant, amazing TV cabinet or whatever it is you bought, right? But 
somebody's got to piece it together and nobody knows how to do that because the instruction manual is in the garbage. The Bills have gone through that thing. They've reverse engineered it. They have found a way to put all those pieces together. And now they have the shiny TV unit. And it's amazing. That's Josh Allen. The Bills have done it. I, you know, we were... We were, I guess, on the negative end of that in terms of if you like you throw somebody a box with no instruction manual, what are the chances you think they're going to be able to put it together, right? Fairly minimal. But the range of outcome, that is an outcome it, within the spectrum. Yeah. It is possible for some guy to open this thing up, get every single piece out there, and over the next month or whatever, piece this thing together and create it, right? It's very unlikely, but it's possible. And that that was our pre-draft analysis, and that's exactly what the Bills have done. They have hit on an outcome that was within the spectrum that we were predicting and was an unlikely outcome. And fair play to them and Josh Allen for doing that. Brian Dable has, you know, grabbed the instruction manual and found it. Jordan Palmer has, you know, they've, he's had some, you know, some guys help him. And he's, you know, the off-field, all of the off-field about Josh Allen is all positive too, right? Great guy, sure. hard worker like and all that stuff. How much is that always the case for like, a, like that's probably true for Cody Kessler as well, but that, like, that doesn't make him a quarterback. I know, but there's, but there's also something in, the, in evaluations that is probably there that is tough to quantify that is like, all right, this guy does have the will to get better versus some guy who doesn't. Either way, the biggest improvement here to Allen's game, remember last year we were saying, it, to my defense, before the season I said, if there was something that would lead to a breakout season, it's that ball. last year up to 20 yards he took a big step forward yeah but then last year's deep ball passing grade was 40 40 but also the way we've studied this through the years the deep ball stuff can fluctuate a little bit or be dependent on receivers now you have stefan diggs it jumps up to 93.4 plus he's more accurate throwing down yeah actually i haven't looked at this properly but i should go back and do that at some point but remember last year the big problem with his deep ball was that he was putting no air under it he was just trying to like hit the guy it was like a laser shot, right? Yeah. He's 40 yards downfield. I am going to try and fire it and hit that guy 40 yards downfield. And because I'm Josh Allen, I can throw the ball 900 miles an hour. The pro- and there's no trajectory on it. It's just like a, a frozen rope. The problem is that's an insanely difficult thing to do, right? Hitting a 40-yard moving target with no kind of air under it, just trying to get get it there as quick as possible. I... It feels to me that he's putting more air under those deep balls now. He's actually giving those guys the chance to run under it and go catch it. But I haven't, I haven't like specifically looked at it and confirmed that, or if I'm just working off a, a couple of, you know, mental highlight reels that I remember. Yeah. Either way, it's been so much better. Allen uh, finishes the final regular season quarterback rankings at number five. That's why I'm taking the Bills. Allen's playing great. They got the playmakers, offensive line solid. Deion Dawkins. Darrell Williams, a tackle, two of the be- you know, one of the better tandems in the league. Um, and then on the other side, the Colts had this revolving door at left tackle since Anthony Costanzo yeah, has gone down. And, you know, I could see the Bills have played Jerry Hughes on the left side, flip him to the right side a little bit, take advantage of that if Jared Valdir's back. And Hughes is not a good matchup for Valdir if he's back again like he was in Week 17 coming out of retirement. So Weather shouldn't be a factor. It's going to be cold, not much wind, not much precipitation I'm disappointed. In, the, uh, in Buffalo. So it should be a game set up for everything you want to see. I would lean Buffalo as well. Though anytime mm-hmm. I see a Buffalo wild card game, I'm reminded of my 96 Jaguars. Of course you are. Always. Yeah. Brunel rolls in there and they win 30-27. to 27. What if it's a 30-27 to 27 win? Mm-hmm. Just like the Jags. No, I'm taking the Bills. There you go, Bills fans. PF, Buffalo versus PFF. It's not even a battle. All right, Rams at the Seahawks, the second Saturday game. I might be most excited for this one of Number all the three. games. Yeah, part three. 
I think some people get bored by part threes, and I love it. It's it's the rubber match. They both love won this their one. home games. I, I mean, I can see there are times where a third iteration of a game we've seen sucks. This one doesn't, though. This has been interesting the previous two occasions, and if anything, the way the two previous games have gone make this one more interesting. Yeah, and the way those have gone, it was you know Russell Wilson rolling throughout the entire season, and in the first half of the season, a 95 PFF grade, number one. He drops to the low 70s over the last eight games. He's the number 19 ranked quarterback in the second half of the season. Russell Wilson. Two of those games were against the Rams. Mm -hmm. His worst game of the season came two against of his, the Rams. Two of his three worst, I think, were yeah. against the Rams. Or, yeah. He was a little better in the second matchup. and But it's it's the strength against strength here, right? The, the Seattle offense is all about stretching the field. It's, D, it's shots to DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett and David Moore, right? It's creating big plays. But... The Rams defense is the best in the league. EPA of minus 0.27, which is outstanding on deep passes. And Russ is two for 11 on deep passes in these matchups. So either Seattle has to find a way to scheme it up down there, or they need DK to just go off and make some plays, or Seattle has to change their game plan and run more quick game and run more uh, passing concepts that they're less comfortable with. What? This is my favorite matchup of the weekend, well, Seattle offense, Rams D. Yeah, or none of those things need to happen, and they just need their D to win the way they did the last time. Like oh. That's the interesting thing is you can make the case that this Rams defense just has the number of Seattle's offense. Like they, They're better than they are, or they match up well, and they shut down Russell Wilson in that passing game, and nothing is really going to change that. Maybe the third time he sees it, he's slightly more efficient against it again. Um, but they're, as you, you gave the EPA stats, they're second in the NFL in terms of passer rating allowed. Them and Pittsburgh are at like 85. Everyone else is 89 or above. Um, they are going to slow down Russell Wilson and cause him some problems. The interesting thing is what happens on the other side because Jared Goff and the Rams offense couldn't, didn't function against Seattle the last time. And this was coming off the game against the Jets where they didn't function either. They were bad. Now he practiced. He's limited coming back from that thumb injury. Robert Woods claimed he looked pretty good spinning the ball. Nice spiral. Nice. Those are the uh, the kind of things you know you need to you need to hear. Can He'll he be back? Can he still put a spiral on it? Um, so he I think he'll play. a spiral before his thumb injury. <laughs> so I think Those he's going to play. Hands. But we had this argument the last time on the pod, right? What is? I mean, he's not going to be a hundred percent coming back from a surgically repaired thumb. Um, he'll and be fine. 100% Goff before he got injured wasn't good against this defense. So to me, that's the interesting thing. I, I think it's a given that Russell Wilson is going to struggle to some degree against the Rams defense because he has two times before and the Rams D is really good. I'm intrigued by was the other get, was the other side last time a blip or has Seattle actually figured out how to stop this Rams offense functioning? It was a really weird year for Jared Goff. After five weeks, he was one of our highest graded quarterbacks. And, and he was doing it by just not making mistakes. And when you don't make mistakes, it's partially the scheme. You know, things are a little bit easier for you and you're just not missing throws. But that was Goff. He ends this, and then he goes on this run, Chicago, Miami, week 12 against San Francisco. And then his last two games, Jets and at Seattle, below 60 grades. He had some, some actually below 55. He had five of those games from week seven and on. So he really did uh, taper off quite a bit. It was his lowest grade, his lowest PFF grade since his rookie season. Now his rookie season was a train, train wreck. wreck. Bad, right? We say train wreck a lot. We're right on the same page. 42.9. He is not, but he's been solid to above average since that point. This is his worst grade since that point. And 
lowest percentage of big time throws by far 2.1 percent uh that's that's one of the worst in the league so you didn't have those special downfield throws were they so conservative on offense this year that we didn't have those opportunities like what was missing there with golf it was a really weird season and to me that just puts too much pressure on the play calling right you have to be a step ahead if your quarterback's not making special throws i think they're going to need a few this week john wolford had four last mm. week golf's going to need to make a few do you think there's any scenario by which wolford gets in this game i mean if, obviously if golf of really doesn't throw the ball well or because he's shown that rushing ability or the ability to at least keep it gets to taste some hill package yeah <laughs> i mean you're not running i don't think you're going to run qb power no with wolford but as a zone heavy team where he can at least just keep a defensive end honest the, i mean in, in the red zone the, i think absolutely it would be a really interesting decision if this game pans out kind of the way we're teeing it up right whereby the rams defense is doing its job it's it's limited russell wilson to like 10 points in the first half the first three quarters and the Rams just haven't been able to get anything going, right? They're like, they're, they've got three points, and it came from a, a long field goal. And every time they take the field on offense, they just can't move the ball. They're punting incessantly to Russell Wilson. You know there's a ticking clock, right? At some point, Russell Wilson is going to put a touchdown on yes. the board. And at that point, you're screwed, right? So, <laughs> you know, you're deep into the third quarter. Maybe you're into the fourth. Jared Goff hasn't looked good. At that point, you've got to start thinking – Maybe Walford could give us a spark. I, I think as a change of pace, we might be able to see it. I don't know if Goff ever gets benched in this point. It, it depends. Like, honestly, if he's throwing the ball and he just has no clue. But to be fair, would you be able to tell the difference between Goff throwing all over the place or how bad he threw the ball but that's in week what 16? I mean, right? That's why time. it becomes an interesting decision, not necessarily because like, it's obvious, right? If he goes out there and he looks like, um, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo, when he came back with that ankle and literally couldn't stand on it, and you're like, all right, that, we probably shouldn't have him out here right now. This isn't fair to the guy. Like, if Goff comes out and literally can't throw the ball because he's got a broken thumb, it's obvious, right? But if he comes out and just looks the way he did before he got hurt, I bad, um, and they're not moving the ball and they're not functioning on offense, and you just had John Walford sitting there who had four big-time throws a week ago and can move this offense – I mean, it's a decision, right? It's something you at least have to consider at some point in the game, whether you're going to do that. Um, just to remind people in the two matchups here, the first one, Seattle was blitzing like crazy, and they've done that a lot this year, right? We've talked a lot about how they've blitzed Jamal Adams, who, by the way, another factor, not necessarily healthy and you know might not play Jamal Adams. So whether he's on the field or not, though, the first matchup, they're blitzing him like crazy. They're blitzing the nickel. They're blitzing Bobby Wagner. They were coming after the Rams and then leaving holes all, all over the place. They were not playing sound on the back end, and the Rams did a nice job moving the ball in that one. In the second matchup, they didn't blitz nearly as much, focused on stopping the run, and you know they only blitzed 12 times on 52 dropbacks. That's not a high percentage. They changed their strategy. So again, the cat and mouse game on both sides of the ball I think is going to be outstanding adam says by the way there's no way he's not playing so you know yeah but what what will he what will he be though i think my point with the, the with seattle is they they dropped him into coverage a lot more they played more traditional coverages in the second matchup instead of you know sending adams all over the place so we'll see what happens here in in round three i think it's man i think it's just an awesome game i, I really want to lean the rams i really think I think the Rams have a shot here. Yeah. Um, it will depend on 
whoever the quarterback is, Goff or Wolford, just hitting a few more throws than they did the last matchup. Yeah, it really depends on whether their offense can function at all. Um, I think that they do match up well with the Seattle offense. I think they will slow them down, and they do a better job on Russell Wilson than pretty much any defense in the NFL, at which point you're giving yourself a chance, right? That You've now reset the bar that you need to clear much lower than, than normal teams playing Seattle. All you need to do is clear it still. You need your offense to function at some kind of viable level, which it didn't last time. Um, another game, by the way, where weather should not be a factor. 40s, not much chance of precipitation. I like this role for you. Thank you. Um, either side of that, though, a lot of rain. Pacific Northwest tends to, tends to be rainy. Friday, a lot of rain. Sunday, a lot of rain. Saturday, not so much. But not on Saturday. No. So. Um, Can we get some weather in these playoff games or what? I agree with you, though. I think, I think because the bar is going to be set so low, like, come on, the, the Rams' offense has to function a little bit, right? And if you if if Goff can't, you now have an alternative. You're getting crazy, That's man. All I'm saying you're getting crazy. So, are you taking the Rams? Yeah, man, to I, win. I, I thought right. I was being an outlier here, taking the Rams. No, nope. to win, not even to cover. Just... I will say it's tough to tough to bet against Russell Wilson in the playoffs. Well, it is unless you've shown this season you can shut him down pretty well. Wait, we didn't even discuss DK Metcalf, Jalen Ramsey as well. Mm -hmm. Another incredible. As, as much as I like to talk about the Rams' scheme all the time, but just like I talk about the Titans having dudes, of course the Rams have Aaron Donald, the defensive player of the year. Go listen to that PFF NFL Daily in the case that we stated for Aaron Donald and then Jalen Ramsey and what he's able to do in the thing you always mention, it's the trickle-down effect to the Darius Williams of the world, the Troy Hills of the world, guys who are really number two and three corners who get put in a much better position. Ramsey seems to have this interesting way of, you know, when he when he gets matched up one-on-one -on -one with an elite uh, receiver, a guy like DeAndre Hopkins or DK Metcalf, I think everybody knows, right? Like, you're going into this game, like, wow, this is going to be fireworks. Watch these two guys go at it. I think he plays up to that and is like, I'm going to beat this guy up in this game. And because everybody knows this is a special one-on-one -on -one matchup, they're probably going to be less likely to throw a flag on it. And like there are plays every single time in, in these matchups where it's like, that's clearly pass interference. And it doesn't get called because it's like those two guys, it's just let them play. Why would you throw a flag on that? So like DeAndre Hopkins got mugged a couple of times last week and the refs were just like, eh. It's, it's, it's just football. It's just two stars. Let him play. After. Yeah, yeah. But the playoffs. But if that was see... like, if it wasn't DeAndre Hopkins, if that was just like some random receiver, it would be like flag. But you get that in the playoffs more too, as well, right? right? And that was the Legion of Boom through the years. They got away with stuff. They knew how to get just grabby enough, or is on the borderline. And if it goes your way, I mean, I think they just reset the, the line generally as a as a policy. But Ramsey does that specifically against elite receivers when he matches up with them, which means like <laughs> Metcalf's going to either have to fight back and you know toss him around a bit or he's gonna get mugged yeah and it's this is why it's my favorite matchup of the week so many storylines individual matchups schematics uh matchups I, I like the rams to pull it off i really think their their defense um is gonna be is gonna be trouble in this in the in the playoffs here uh saturday night here we go tampa bay bucks at the washington football team we've got the bucks first time in the playoffs since 2007 I think there's a lot of fascinating stuff to look at here too. I think on paper you're you're saying okay, the NFC East was a joke. Uh, the football team stumbled into the playoffs, but they've played better down the stretch. They have a re they have a good defense. They have one of the best defenses in the league, and yeah, they're at home for whatever it's worth. It's an eight and a half point spread, 
But for the Bucks, it's the best defense they've played since week 11 when they played the Rams. Yeah. So they're going to be tested for the first time in a while. I think the football team can at least keep it close, and then it comes down to how much Alex Smith and their offense can score points. It's interesting. It's an eight-and-a-half-point spread, which is the second-widest spread of the weekend, um, the Bears game being the other one. And all of the money, all of the bets, everything is still backing Tampa Bay. Like <laughs> Vegas or betters um, says the spread isn't big enough. Like we are buying into the fact that the Bucks are way better than an eight and a half point favorite against the Washington football team. At the same time, Bruce Arians is saying, I mean, this isn't a seven and nine team. We're treating them like they're a, he said four and one, but he meant five and one. They're a five yeah. and one team because that's their record with Alex Smith, the quarterback. Um, when Alex Smith has been the quarterback, they've won more, like most of their games. They've only lost once. I, I mean, I think that's pushing it a little bit. I'm not sure that that's really true. I mean, I mean it's, well, it's true record-wise, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, Washington isn't this completely different team with Alex Smith the quarterback in terms of you know they're a pl- they're. They, well, they are. are. They're better than they were with Dwayne Haskins at quarterback. They're Kyle better, Allen, but they're not like it's not five and one versus whatever the whatever that leaves remaining on their schedule. Like they're still not a good football team with Alex Smith the quarterback. They're just functional in a way they weren't with Dwayne Haskins. Um, but again, they're good on the defensive side of the ball. Well, that's and they're good in the places yes that have given the Bucks problems, which is you know four man rush, creating pressure, and moving Brady off a spot. And that's why it's really interesting to me that all the money, all the tickets, all the bets are going to Tampa Bay despite this the uh, this spread. Because, look, Tampa Bay have done a little mini version of the Trubisky turnaround late in the season. It's like, wow, they've they've found themselves. They've hit their groove. This is what they're supposed to look like. Yeah, but look who they've played. Like, this is not an irrelevant part of this analysis here. You have to actually look at what happened. Um, so the Bucks, yeah, they have looked a lot better, but... This is a way better defense than they've been facing during that stretch. And does it still function at that level? The Washington football team, they're the third team on that passer rating allowed chart. Pittsburgh, Los Angeles Rams, number one, two. Washington is three. They get a lot of pressure with that front four. Tom Brady, his offensive line has been really good this season. And Brady has struggled when he's been pressured. So that dynamic is going to be interesting. Strength on strength. Can Washington's front four get pressure against this Bucks offensive line? Um, I do think that they're going to cause him some problems, at which point eight and a half points is a lot to cover. Yeah, that would be my concern. Um, so, yeah, there's two ways of looking at it. Did the Bucks, so there's, right, Bruce Arians always talks about, and we tried to use this excuse, I did at least, for Jameis last year. Jameis's first year in the system with Bruce Arians, and Bruce always says, you got to wait till week 11 or 12. Right, you got to wait. First, first ten or twelve weeks in the Bruce Arian system, guys don't even you don't even know the play calls. You don't even know the same language. But once you start to figure it out, you know you hit your stride. Did so. The the data backs that up, but the data also coincides with what you said. Down the stretch, they played the Vikings, the Falcons twice, and a depleted Lions team. If they truly did figure it out, which is Brady with no offseason, with breaking in Antonio Brown and Gronk. Uh, with you know into the into the system if there's it could be true that they are hitting their stride though they're hitting their stride Mike Evans had been healthy until he got hurt again he'll be questioned well he was he was looking healthy for two weeks and then he got you know hurts his knee if he's out there he probably won't be 100% but um, either way are the Bucks actually hitting their stride and Brady's feel for the offense and knowing where and playing quicker and all that stuff or does it just coincide with bad defenses? It's probably a combination of both. 
But I think the football team has to find a way to keep the Bucks around 20 points, right? Sure. Like, is that a reasonable it, – it, so that's where I think as far as winning the game – that's going to be the challenge. As great as the football team is up front with Chase Young and Montez Sweat and Jonathan Allen, their three highest-graded players all on the D-line, can they keep the Bucks around 20, 23 points and then find a way to score offensively? Yeah, I mean, these are – I think it is a very interesting question. I'm not saying that the Bucks haven't got themselves together and that they haven't figured things out. I'm just saying that we can't tell that yet because of what they've gone up against, and this will be the test. This is why it's, it's an interesting game. Um, it is kind of amazing, though, whatever about, like, them getting themselves together, Brady's performance in this system and even modifying this system a little bit, like, Brady and Arians together has been pretty phenomenal, right? The first year of the Bruce Arians system we've talked about for years, right? It's a disaster in year one. Year two and three is when you tend to get the jump, right? And that was kind of the conversation with Jameis last year. It's like, okay, yeah, he's throwing an absolute ton of these turnover-worthy plays, but Jameis was always like that, and this is year one of Bruce Arian's system. Let's see if they want to bring him back for year two and year three because that's when the jump will happen. Right. And in, in the end, it was so bad that Arian's like, I don't want a piece of this. Bye-bye. But 2012, Andrew Luck, 40 turnover-worthy plays. 40. 2013, Carson Palmer, 40 These are first-year Number Arians one year in Bruce Arian's offense. 2019, Jameis Winston, 40 turnover-worthy plays. So three quarterbacks, two of whom went on to have phenomenal seasons sometime after that, had 40 turnover-worthy plays in year one of Bruce Arians. Tom Brady, 12. Like, that's ridiculous. And, you know, we've posted these graphics on, on PFF social media. Like, his deep ball has been one of the more aggressive, you know, he's, he's had more deep ball shots, more deep ball passes than most quarterbacks in the NFL. It's not like he's he's gone, I'm not doing what you're doing. I'm going to go back to like Wes Welker offense in New England. He's bought into this aggressive downfield style and hasn't had the same volume of errors that the other guys have had. It's really incredible. He, uh, Brady finished the year with the second highest uh, big-time throw percentage and the lowest turnover-worthy play percentage. Yeah, and only, that was thanks to Aaron Rodgers throwing three and four plays to, yeah. <laughs> to lose the turnover-worthy play percentage title. But I think... Brady ended up with 12 interceptions. Essentially, any time he had a turnover-worthy play, it got caught. Yep. And then, like, last week, he threw And a, some of them were bad. He hit, some of them were really bad. But he hit Scotty Miller in the hands last week, and it bounced up for one of his 12 picks. I mean, there's, there was some bad luck in there as well. So, yeah, um, Brady running that system has been incredible. And I think the, the one thing that I think they need to prove is doing it against these playoff teams. The splits that he's had against the Saints, the Packers, they didn't have to do a whole lot, uh, the Bears... Uh, there were some games in that the Rams and the Chiefs, you know, these playoff teams that they played, uh, performance wasn't great offensively or as a team. I so mean, it's now, a big game, I think, for the Bucs. Obviously, they have to win, too. You know, it's the playoff. Now their season starts, right? This is the Bucks. This is what they were starting, right? It was essentially two a two-step process for Tampa Bay and Tom Brady this year, Tampa Bay. Um, one, just get to the postseason, right? Just clear clear the regular season, get there, figure out all of the kinks, work out the problems, the choke points, the pressure areas, just figure all that out and get to the postseason. Then when you're in the postseason, now we can put it all together and actually realize the potential of all these insane weapons on offense, the good defense, the Tom Brady, Bruce Arians mesh um, in terms of scheme. That's when this now starts, right? So they've got, they've done job one. They've got through to the postseason. They've been tested. They've had a lot of opportunities to develop and to work out the problems and to find answers during the regular season. 
now you're going to get asked those questions and we get to see what your answers, what, what answers you came up with, you know? So I think um, I'm leaning. I think the Bucks are going to win this game. Yes. I would probably, I think I would pick Washington to keep it close enough to cover the spread. But I think the narrative coming out of this is it's either a dominant Bucks win where it's like, oh gosh, they, they just crushed the football team's defense. What are they going to do to New Orleans in a rematch and Green Bay and whoever, you know, Seattle, if they have to play, whoever it is. Or they kind of trudge through it. Washington's offense just has, doesn't have enough firepower with Alex Smith. And Tampa Bay just looks like they're going to be a, a second round exit against whoever they play. I think that's going to be the narrative coming out of this. But I like the Bucks to win. And I'll, I'll say the football team keeps it close enough. I Yeah, I think... I think you have to lean with Washington to cover this. I, I agree. I think Tampa Bay win. I think they're better. I, Washington's offense is just too um, bad for them to, I think, win this game. But given what we've seen from Tampa Bay against good defenses, I think you have to lean with Washington to, to cover this spread. It's too big a number. They're going to cause them problems that they haven't had in a few weeks. The one thing I'll say, the Bucks defense – uh, early in the season, it looked like they were doing a better job on underneath stuff. They've played a little soft, given up a lot of stuff underneath. It kind of plays into Washington's hands. I want to see how aggressive Todd Bowles is defensively. Plus, Bowles likes to blitz. He does a really good job of creating unblocked, uh, unblocked blitzers. And when we're playing, you know, dad to Alex Smith and cringing every time he gets a hit, I'm a little worried that there's going to be, you know, a Levante David unblocked hit here and there that uh, Alex has to take. So just keep an eye on the blitz. Alex also has to stop putting the ball in harm's way. <laughs> for for the pathologically uh, conservative Alex Smith, he has thrown turnover-worthy plays in bunches. And yeah. he hasn't had that many of them over the season, but like more than you would expect. And they've come multiples at a time. Like that, you can't do that. You're As we've just talked about, you are operating on way too thin a margin for error to like ever put the ball in harm's way. Like if you... If you're going to win this thing, you need to have a clean game against the Bucks. All right, let's go to the Sunday games. Baltimore Ravens at the Tennessee Titans. I, I got a feeling about this one for the Ravens. Uh-oh. I think I'm, I'm buying into, even though I knew they would finish the season strong, we predicted it, we saw it. The Ravens are favored by three and a half. They're favored. So, you know, remember early in the season, I said Vegas had, they had the Ravens by six, I think, the last time. These two teams played, and they had the Ravens by 10 or 11 over the Browns. Like, Vegas, not the Raiders, has continued to believe in the Ravens, and I'm buying in as well. Where where are you in this Ravens-Titans game? Another team where, yep, they look like they got themselves together, but how can you tell based off who they've played? Um, this is like the theme the, towards the back end of this year. is like the whole bunch of teams went on a run – because they played a whole series of crappy opposition. Do you, do you know why? It was a crazy year where it it felt like college football. There was haves and have-nots, yeah. right, it, across the league. Right, and a there bunch of teams some... played a whole run of those have-nots towards the yeah. end. And it's like, well, did they fix anything or did they just play a bunch of crappy teams? But there, there may not have been a more lopsided game I've ever seen in the NFL or up there than last week, Ravens and Bengals. I mean, the Ravens rushing for 420 yards and giving up like 80 you know, or 40 passing yards or whatever it was to the bank. I mean, it was just ridiculous. But that was kind of the story of the NFL. There were teams that just looked like they shouldn't have been on the same field at times. Yeah. But you can only play what you got to play, and the Ravens are looking really good. Agreed. I mean, it feels like I'm starting to sound like a broken record. But, like, this is what Baltimore is supposed to look like and what they did look like last year because 
everything works off that run game. And when you when you gain 400 rushing yards on the ground, you can do whatever the hell you want in the passing game because nobody's defending the pass. You're trying to everybody on defense is concerned about how they're getting gashed for 12 yards a pop and crap how do we hit this how do we run how do we fit this run um how do we make sure every gap is covered how do i stop getting run over by the running backs and then oh look they just passed 12 yards over my head like everything functions fine when that is your platform and the first half of the season it wasn't their uh, offensive line got banged up lamar jackson got injured so he wasn't the same threat um and you know teams that started to make some sense out of their tendencies yeah. i don't know that any of those things have changed they just face teams like the bengals who couldn't stop what they were doing again i think the truth is probably somewhere in the middle right they've gotten a little bit better they've gotten healthier on the offensive line lamar jackson is certainly healthier than he was earlier in the year and maybe they fixed some tendency problems that they were having in terms of you know teams calling out their play uh, but you can't discount the teams that they've done this against and the fact that like now the good news for them is Tennessee's defense sucks so that's not changing like this is a good game for them to still keep rolling on offense because the Titans are not showing up there with the 85 Bears defense like you should be able to have the same level of success on the ground that you've had over the past few weeks and therefore this Baltimore team should look like last year's Baltimore team and I think if that happens they're good value for being better than the Titans because if you remember last year's game it only went that way because like a bunch of weird crap bounced against them in the first five minutes at which point you're in a hole you're chasing the game and well, everything's of off the table failed fourth downs which is you know it goes both ways but it was just variants went the other way for the Ravens yeah but sure. the point is you immediately were shocked into like a double digit hole at which point you don't have a system that gets you out of that this is the game where the run game is going to be the most important nobody runs more than Baltimore of course the Titans have 2,000 yard rusher and Derrick Henry your point about the Tennessee defense being bad, it's not just being bad, they're bad in the wrong spots too. The Ravens run more power counter, so when they're pulling guards or pulling backside guard and tackle, they run more of that than any team in the league and Titans fourth worst EPA against against power and counter. So it is strength against weakness. Ravens offense against the Titans defense when it comes to the run game. The Titans have Jeffrey Simmons, Daquan Jones. They're, like Simmons is great, Jones is okay, and nobody grading out, you know, nobody grading in the green in their front seven besides Simmons and Jones. They're two defensive tackles. So I think it plays right into the Ravens' hands. And to your point, the thing that makes defending that so difficult, like you said, it's like I have to defeat a block, but you also have to find the ball. Mm-hmm. And that is where I think defensive linemen are just putting a bind in linebackers, right? You have to not get blocked and also figure out did Lamar keep it or is it J.K. Dobbins or is it uh Gus Edwards who actually has the football and oh by the way they're coming downhill at me so it's just it's poor linebackers yeah I mean we saw the the best version of that was um against Dallas right where they ran this play up the middle Leighton Van Der Esch was running to his gap to try and take it away and then thought that Dobbins or whoever the running back was had the ball and was taken off to the sideline literally run the hell away from his gap and Lamar Jackson just has now an open path from the line of scrimmage all the way to the end zone with nobody in his way because Lane Van Der Esch just misread it. Now, he was headed to the right spot and then literally thought the ball was headed somewhere else, thought that the, the running back had kept it, not the quarterback, and just took himself out of the play. If that, like, that's, that is what your scheme is doing that can immediately gift you seven points, six points. Um, 
And that you can't say that for Tennessee, right? Uh, no, actually, you can. Like they've had the the Ryan Tannehill keepers um, in recent weeks have been doing the same kind of thing. But that is an element to this that. Yeah, Baltimore's run game is already hard to stop, and the confusion that you can cause can immediately just gift you a gap that you don't have otherwise. Now, let's not forget the Titans won the first matchup this year, too. So it wasn't just the playoff game last year. They won the first game 30-24, to and this was one of the games where I think I started calling them the dudes, right, where people just took over. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, carry on. They have really good players, Sam, who make plays. They do and they're dudes so Derrick Henry but it, this was the A.J. Brown game right he forced like 15 missed tackles on uh, on two plays yeah so that's that's the equalizer and I think that is where the um the Titans are going to have to win it's Tannehill's got to make plays through the air and on the ground we already know that I don't know how much of a Derrick Henry game it's going to be against this Baltimore defensive front he was great last year aided mostly by a 60-plus yard run where he just destroyed Earl Thomas. Mm-hmm. Other than that, you know, he was good other than that. But I still think it's a, a through-the-air type of game. A.J. Brown, and then Corey Davis needs to show up, man. Hasn't showed up the last couple weeks. But A.J. Brown's got to make big plays. Derrick Henry's got to make big plays. And Tannehill, the playmakers have to make plays for the Titans. That run from last year's playoffs might be the single most disrespectful run I've ever seen. Or disrespectful running back against defender encounter i have ever seen in the nfl it was that's awesome. right up there with you remember barry sanders putting some poor patriots db in a blender where he just went zigzagging behind yeah, him and crazy. the guy just like span in a circle and fell over that like he literally turned earl thomas around and then used him as a shield to fend off other defensive backs as he was running into the secondary it was like it's one of the most ridiculous like own ownings of a human being i've ever seen in any walk of life ever um, and he's capable of doing that at pretty much any moment. Like, you let him get into your secondary, good luck. Is Derrick Henry really the the outlier to all of this stuff? Workload's been insane. Yeah. And four yards after contact per rush over the last couple of years. It's crazy. Um, I just want to mention, too, Patrick Queen, rookie linebacker, really struggled this year for the yeah. Ravens. So the Ravens are solid up front. And people, once Derrick Henry gets to the second level, those backers have not been good explain why he hasn't been good because there's a lot of people that were saying like he should get defensive rookie of the year because he has a lot of tackles yeah i mean linebacker is probably the cleanest one where we can always point to what do we have we have him with 76 solo tackles plus 22 you know so 88 total tackles which Mm -hmm. is different from the nfl's count right but linebacker is probably a good number which is a good number a good number of tackles right i mean large number let's not say good because you know linebacker is the easiest position where if you put a guy in and he plays 16 games he'll almost automatically stumble into 85 100 110 tackles and you'll be fine right it'll look good right and then you add in like an intercept he has an interception a pass breakup but the biggest he has 22 missed tackles yep and he's grading at 29.3 against the run and i think where we end up having conflict with fans or uh, whoever about linebacker play is they generally only count look at tackle numbers or remember a couple highlights and every linebacker but we 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 focus on positive and negative plays we dealt with this with Quan alexander uh, a few years ago he had a lot of good positive plays a lot of good splash plays force fumble here and there pass breakup here and there but he missed a ton of tackles much like queen has and you don't see all the times that these guys get blocked queen has not been good getting off blocks or disrupting runs for his teammates. We calculate all of that stuff on his 
858 snaps. So it's it goes well beyond 88 tackles and a pass breakup and a pick. He's also been getting wrecked pretty well in coverage. Um, but when you look at him against the run, he has been one of the most problematic linebackers in the NFL in terms of the second he has to deal with a blocker, it's like game over. I yeah. mean, offensive linemen have been getting to him and destroying him at the second level to the point where there's a lot of times now where he doesn't even like attempt to take on the block. Like he knows that if this guy touches me, I'm toast. So he's trying to like duck under and around those blocks, which is like the worst possible thing you can do as a linebacker. Because at the very minimum, if you're going to get blocked, at least take on the guy and make sure that you get blocked on this square foot of soil as opposed to the one over there by trying to get around him. So he's not able to take on these blockers. And a large amount of the time, he's not even attempting to, which is just vacating a gap and letting a running back saunter through it to the next level so yeah he's making a lot of tackles because he's fast and he can run after a guy but look those are the plays that gets him the negative grade yeah for the second even though you know i like queen as a prospect i liked him I, you know i think he'll be okay he's not playing great right now he's a rookie and i think that just puts more pressure on the ravens defensive front you know they calais campbell they they, they traded for him for a reason and it's this type of game where calais has been one of the better run stoppers in the league over the last couple of years so i would just keep an eye on that battle up front ravens have to win up front i mean that's that's the key um and i think the tennessee's tennessee has to have their playmakers make big plays and he's by the way <laughs> queen is a linebacker and is that weighed by like 25 pounds by derrick henry so like that's the that's the challenge yeah. you're dealing with if you're baltimore like the guys that you have that are supposed to be the tackling machines are being outweighed by like a solid, you know, gym plate of weight by Derrick Henry. There's so many good matchups. You know, when we talk about A.J. Brown and Corey Davis, the secondary for the Ravens, again, from a team building standpoint, when you bring Marcus Peters, we have Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphrey, one of the better duos in the league, and then Jimmy Smith still going strong 11, 12 years into his career. It's one of the best trios in the league now. So Mm -hmm. you're going to have some good matchups to watch there. Um, I really like... Man, I'm so excited for this weekend. There's so many good games. I love it. I, I like Baltimore, though. I, I think there's an element of the narrative is based off two games. Baltimore can't win in the playoffs with Lamar. Lamar's 0-2 in the playoffs. You think they can't play from behind and all this stuff. I mean, I think that. They, can be, they, they can't. Can. They can't play from behind yet. It, it doesn't matter. They're going to go out, and they're going to win this game. I like Baltimore in this one. I can see that. I, I think they match up well. I, I think both offenses are going to do well against the defense i think it's going to be a high scoring game hammer the over um i do think that they match up well remember that first game they were in good position and then late in the game aj brown and derrick henry took over and that was the story of tennessee's second half aj brown for seven missed tackles on four catches right i was gonna say like in the last couple of minutes like that was the game where those two guys took over in the last they forced it to overtime and, and again took over like that was that run where Tennessee's entire season started to hinge on those two guys and whether they just went beast mode on defenses. Um, so it's easier said than done, but if Baltimore can just stop that happening this time, That's all you gotta do. they're in a pretty good position to win. All right. So you're taking Baltimore to win this one? Yeah. They are favored on the road. I don't know if they cover. I think it's close. I think it's a great game. Obviously, I, like, I don't want to disrespect Tennessee. I think they're fantastic, and I think they've got a chance to go on a run too, but their defense has taken a step back from where it was in previous years and i think it'll come back defense is bad it'll be interesting to see if they do put the ball in ryan Tannehill's hands more um even if it's on the ground like with those hey everybody's focusing on derrick henry i'm i used to be a wide receiver in college yoink and just takes off right those have been effective i will say 
even though we've talked about Tannehill being protected and people like to think, well, the, the offense runs through Derrick Henry. They've had games through the year, either earlier this year against Cleveland, this Ravens game. They've had games where Tannehill, Tannehill has had to bring them back, and it's been a pass-first approach, and they've been fine. They're right? a lot they've like the, the Vikings, where if you like told them they were in a 10-point hole at all times, they'd probably be a better team. Yeah, you create those chunk plays with, you know, John o. Smith, too, is in there. So, look, I think it's going to be an awesome game. I'm taking Baltimore, though. Hey, guys. Life is full of questions. Like, what would happen to my family if something happened to me? Am I saving enough for retirement? And is now the right time to start thinking about life insurance, just to name a few. No one should have to settle for answers to these life-altering questions that involve gray areas or leaving things to chance. And with Western and Southern, you won't have to. Backed by over 130 years of experience gathering insights, building strategies, and helping customers choose the right solutions, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western and Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. Compensated endorser products issued by member companies of Western and Southern Financial Group, Cincinnati, Ohio. All right, we got two more games, man. Yep. Uh, Chicago at New Orleans. That's the second game on Sunday. No weather in that game either, by the way. Uh, no weather at Tennessee? No weather. Can I just, I, I know you haven't had a chance to look it up. Can I get a weather report for Bears uh, Saints here? Yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be fine. Great. Well, mm -hmm. you're good. Uh, in the Dome, Bears at Saints. What are you looking for in this one? Now, we've talked a lot about Breeze, but are the Saints maybe the best all-around team, the most complete team? Check out the Daily. Maybe somebody said the Saints. They're favored by 10 against the Bears. Yeah, and that probably tells you something. <laughs> the Saints, this is, again, similar to Tampa Bay, two-pronged two mission for the Saints. Get to the postseason. Make sure you get out of your division in good shape and then hope to God that old man Breeze still has enough in the gas tank for the final few postseason games if the rest of the roster is around him is, is as good as you thought it was heading into the season and earlier in the year it looked like they that was just a miscalculation and we were this thing was going to collapse the final you know load up for one last go around with drew Brees to get him a second super bowl ring was going to end in disaster and you know the sort of the way sometimes that happens when a team loads up for a super bowl just it just all goes south um and then it didn't uh, they they started to round into form. The defense in particular started to play a lot better down the stretch. They still haven't had all their weapons on offense get healthy and on the field at the same time properly. Um, but suddenly, this roster looks like the Super Bowl caliber roster it was supposed to be, which brings all the focus back to what is Drew Brees in the playoffs. 73 overall grade for Drew Brees, by far the worst of his career. And I've made the comparison to 2015 Peyton Manning before. He, did not, he did, did not play nearly as badly as Peyton played that year. But on the Super Bowl run that Peyton made, like I said previously, not the defense was incredible. But on that Super Bowl run, Peyton played reasonable enough. Got away with a bunch of stuff in the Super Bowl. But if you can play with your mind, if you can at least get the ball to the right place, Breeze has all of that. You've got the dome. All, I think they'll move the ball okay. Um he just need, the breeze hasn't missed an inordinate amount of passes this year it's been the turnover worthy play percentage fifth highest turnover worthy play percentage in the league this year for breeze again mm -hmm. that's uncharacteristic but that isn't a decision making thing it's a just his arm hasn't gotten it there a few times yep. so it's literally two or three plays per game and this happened in the first bears game he threw a pass to Roquan Smith that could have been a game ending pick six in overtime and a pass that Eddie Jackson got his hands on in overtime if Breeze gives the Bears two or three of these, much like Breeze gave two or three to the Vikings last mm -hmm. year in the playoff loss, you have to catch them. I mean, the game might be as simple 
as that because Breeze might only make two or three mistakes per game. But that is the difference between the high-end Breeze and what we've seen this year. The Bears need to capitalize when it happens. We have talked um, all season long about Drew Breeze that when you have an arm as bad as his currently is, what it does is shrink your margin for error and the window that you have to make these plays. And again, some defenses, that doesn't matter. Some defenses are bad enough that your margin for error is too big and you can shrink it and it's still plenty. It's still more than enough for a guy who's as smart and savvy and good at playing quarterback as he is to still get the ball where it needs to go. Chicago's defense is good enough for there to be overlap now between the margin for error you've created and what the Bears can do on defense. Now the Venn diagram has created this slice in the middle where suddenly these are plays that are going to end up in the hands of Chicago defenders. Um, And that, as you say, could be the difference because, look, turnovers are still one of the most impactful things in deciding the outcome of football games, and Chicago is going to have some opportunities at them because of what Breeze Arm does now. Ready for the bold prediction? Hit it. My guy, Barkevius Mingo. Oh, come on. On his sixth team in six years, former Super Bowl champion Barkevius is going to make a play. It's going to make a play in this one, Sam. On special teams? Maybe. But there's going to be a big play. <laughs> Could be another 20-yard run. Oh, God. Aaron Rodgers tried to throw a pick to him the other day. He should have caught it. Yeah. He'll catch it this time if he gets one. Okay. Just ready for Barkevia. Yeah. Um, in reality, though, I think the Bears – look, I, I think the Saints are going to win. I like the Saints. I think the Saints have shown the ability – I use this phrase all the time – win multiple ways. They've had dominant defense at times this year. Great pass rush. They have all the elements in the secondary. They have Alvin Kamara. A, a running attack offensive line they have all the elements I also think that the Bears have the pieces to at least pull the upset there's a lot of what ifs but for as much as we you know say look Mitch Trubisky isn't great they've moved the ball better with him bad defenses or not they've moved the ball better they run a lot outside zone they boot him out after that he's got some mobility they've got Darnell Mooney Darnell Mooney the rookie deep threat they still have Allen Robinson David Montgomery's running the ball a little bit better and defensively a good defensive front, and a solid defense for the Bears, right? They have the pieces to at least pull the upset. There's a lot of what-ifs that need to happen along the way, including, you know, catch those interceptions when they come your way. Despite the run of inept defenses that Mitchell Trubisky has faced and therefore produced against and therefore become uh, better in the eyes of many humans, including apparently you. um, I didn't say Trubisky got better. You did. I said the offense was moving the ball. Despite Trubisky. Go ahead. Anyway. Keep putting words into my mouth. (laughs) He has the 36th highest PFF grade this season, which is behind Carson Wentz, Drew Locke, uh, Gardner Minshew, Nick Foles, uh, Cam Newton, Ben Roethlisberger, Mike Glennon, Andy Dalton, Taysom Hill. It's behind virtually every crappy quarterback in the NFL. I'm not doubting that. Mitchell Trubisky is still hot garb and will not be able to function at any kind of high level against a halfway decent defense, which is the New Orleans Saints. That, in and of itself, means the Bears basically can't win this game without a bunch of things bouncing in their direction. For example, they need to catch the turnover that might be coming their way from Drew Brees. They also probably need a Cordero Patterson touchdown on a kick return because they're not going to score on offense without some help. Like, Trubisky is a giant anchor around the ankles of this team that is going to sink them unless something miraculous happens elsewhere.
yeah, the Bears dudes need to step up, like Allen Robinson, <laughs> number five graded wide receiver, who's hitting free agency potentially, right? Um, that's my my point is that they the grade for Trubisky has been poor, just like it was in 2018, but also in 2018 they produced offense around him, right? They produced yards after the catch. Or yeah, but they've only done that catches. when they faced a slate of crappy defenses. I'm just saying that is it's what they would it would take, but I think they've got. You know the tight ends are making some plays lately. I don't know. I think they can. I think they can hang. I don't know if they could pull the upset, but they have the elements to do it. Khalil Mack, Akeem Hicks. They got the elements. Sam, I like the Saints in this one. Ten feels steep, though. Does it feel steep? No. Like, you don't think so? Do they Saints really cover? have the elements? They scored sixteen against Green Bay, which is the first halfway decent defense they faced yeah. in the last X number of weeks. But New Orleans has a better defense than Green Bay. There, like, how? Where do you think the points are coming from? The Bears. That was like a fourth and one stop here and there. I mean, they, they move the ball all right in that one. I think the Bears can at least <laughs> hang tough in this one. As all right. I it, mean, I, I think it really, it's, it's, it's going to come down to the turnover thing. Yes, now. I it think really if is. they do, it's going to be entirely off the back of the defense and special teams. I like the Saints to win. I just think, you know, 10 might be, 10 might be steep here. Okay. You think the Saints cover? Yes. Dominant outing in the... I think they blitz the bears off the field unless chicago gets a slew of turnovers and or kick return touchdowns really quick i think the the playoff the playoff thing is fantastic because you talk about like legacy stuff i mean this is starting this weekend legacy type stuff you know it moves the needle right breeze looking for looking to end his career trying to go out like peyton manning not on top of his game but on top of the world as super bowl champion aaron Rodgers looking for number two not playing this week mahomes trying to become you know one of the best quarterbacks of all time with a second Super Bowl. Brady, is he just playing with house money at this point? Because, you know, he's got it in the bag and it's like, oh, dude, if you win it with a new team, it's incredible. Russell Wilson looking for number two. I love it when it comes down to that stuff. Where do you stand on Breeze? His leg- is, this, is this last playoff run important for his legacy? How important? Um, I think not that important. He... He hit the Thomas Jones threshold, you know, where you hit a certain yardage number and everyone goes, oh, he's a Hall of Famer now. Um, Drew Brees, when, when the moment Well, he, he is a Hall of Famer. Like, no, 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 I know. This is a Hall of Fame debate. Obviously, he's in. Let me to finish, please. Sorry. At the moment where he started to collect all the all-time records, you know, yardage, touchdowns, completions, all those things, when he started to, like, surpass all those, all debate as to, like, his legacy evaporated. And it was like, oh, so suddenly Brees became the greatest quarterback of all time. Literally. Like, when he cleared those numbers everyone was like hey he's better than tom brady and peyton manning he doesn't what? even have all those numbers anymore well i know because they've been taken he's back good. from him. but the yeah. point is when that happened the conversation went away from like drew Brees hall of famer to drew Brees is the greatest quarterback that's ever lived so a second ring it's important for him it's what he's shooting for to like i don't know not just not justify his career but he's been shooting for that ring since 2009 because you know one is great two is is all-time interest you know all-time uh exclusive club that most people aren't in i don't think it's important for his like outside perception legacy i think that's well taken care of but for him it's obviously and the saints like this team has been chasing that validation for the last decade yeah i mean i think i I think it's one of the biggest stories of the weekend though like you said the saints went from a mediocre team with a great drew Brees to one of the best teams in the league since 2017 who just continue to which honestly either have some bad luck in the playoffs yeah. some bad calls and some or some craziness happen it's kind of fitting like that's i mean peyton manning was slightly different because he spent most of his time in indianapolis but the broncos did that for peyton the broncos did that for john elway like every now and again you get this quarterback that has been like dragging a team 
somewhere for a decade and suddenly the team figures out how to put it around him usually just at the point where they start to to fall off in terms of what they can do and it you know they they pay him back a little bit at the end and that's why i i sometimes i defer back to like stars are different superstars are different and when you doubt them or when they can't even throw the ball beyond 20 yards or whatever it is they just like breeze just has to do it four games can he suck it up for four games and kind of put something legendary together i wouldn't be surprised uh, if he does maybe it starts this weekend all right let's wrap up the game previews and then we got some free agency to discuss mm-hmm. cleveland browns at the pittsburgh steelers this will be the sunday night game the browns are back in the playoffs but going to be without head coach kevin stefanski covid protocol can't coach remotely poor browns Finally yeah make it to really playoffs. is guess what what no weather no weather in this one either no weather oh, you're quick I know. What is this? Do we have to wait till the divisional round for some weather? Evidently. Evidently, this is not a weekend of weather in anywhere significant to playoff football. Um, Yeah, dude, that sucks for the Browns. They they break the longest active non-playoff streak in the NFL. And then, like, their head coach catches COVID and other relevant people as well. Like, it's not just Stefanski. I have seen people make the point, and I think it's a reasonable one, that in this year of all years, COVID, madness... In a year where you force the team to play a game without a quarterback, literally, you force the team to play with a wide receiver that they called up like that day yeah. from the practice squad rather than screw around with things, you won't make an exception to let Stefanski coach remotely from the booth or from Zoom or from a hermetically sealed room somewhere. You know, we have the technology. This could be achieved rather than saying, nope, protocols are protocols. You can't coach from not being in the stadium. I think there is a really strong argument to say, look, this is a this is a freaky year with COVID. Um, things are different. You don't set a precedent by doing this. You just say 2020 and you know the end of, or the start of 2021. This season is different, and the Browns should not be deprived of their head coach because of COVID. Like if the dude is capable of coaching, which apparently he is, let him coach. I Figure out a way of making it happen. I agree with all of it yeah I don't I don't like it I mean I just I would make that little bit of an adjustment so that it's somewhat even playing field yeah it, otherwise you would it's just it's ridiculous I don't think you should be harming the team harming the playoffs forget the team you're harming the product right the thing that you are so pre- precious about doing you know the sanctity of the league protect the shield let the team ha- be coached by their coach not whoever they can stitch together. It's who's it? Alex Van Val, uh, Alex Van Pelt is going to be calling plays in lieu of Stefanski. Like, I mean, come on, let the guy coach. Uh, at in the Clemson game, Clemson against Ohio State, uh, the playoff game, Clemson was out without their offensive coordinator too. And what you saw was the first two drives, great right. Clemson the offense. Script. It was well scripted. Everything was fine, but we, you know, there was a lot of good discussion on Twitter about what does an offensive coordinator do? He has to adjust on the fly. Yeah. You got to communicate. You have to play the game script. After the script is gone, you play the game script. What's right. happening within the game? So that would be the thing to keep an eye on. Do, do things look good for the first 15 or 20 plays? Or, and how does Cleveland adjust? Because it's just, it's like it's just a, it's a whole new world. Mm-hmm. And, and to, in the biggest thing about the Browns offense this year that we've said – is that scheme has done a great job for Baker. It, it it elevated him early in the season statistically, even though he wasn't playing great. And then he started to find his way within the system, throw the ball much better. 
uh, play with more confidence, throw the ball more accurately, and it was really coming together down the stretch. And you start to lose that uh, that flow. I, I think it's a huge advantage for the for the Steelers. Yeah, the other thing that is a huge advantage for them is that one of the stories of Cleveland season has been the offensive line, which has been arguably the best offensive line and in the who's NFL. Actually playing right, and all of them are basically question marks of some variety right whether it's injuries to Wyatt Teller Jack Conklin JC Treader all questionable all questionable whether it's Joel Batonio winding up on the COVID list that's four out of your five offensive linemen suddenly wound up in in question and Jedrick Wills I think just got cited for drag racing at nine in the morning so literally your entire five offensive line that were starting and that were arguably the best unit in the NFL have some form of question about them heading into this game that's not ideal there is a petition out there to bring uh, joe thomas back a friend of the show joe weighs like a hundred like 240 pounds right now he could do it you think Look, what is a 240 pound offensive tackle you're facing, albeit a hall of famer he could do it against the steel look he's, like i shook his hand he is solid rock well yeah he's, he's but strong, he's, he's, fine. he's 240 pounds of solid rock but there's you're a reason facing, you're facing a 3-4 team like the Steelers, yeah. undersized edge rushers. So he's going up against Alex Rookie Highsmith. Alex Highsmith. Dude, Joe, Tom Joe Thomas will watch his film for the next 24 hours, know true. every movie he's ever made. Yes. But there's a reason that those guys carry 50 pounds of fat, right? It's because the inertia that you get from that extra 50 pounds is actually important. Otherwise, every offensive lineman would just be 250 pounds of shredded muscle. I worry about the run game a little bit, but all you have to do is you run right. <laughs> a little and bit. All, so you run your zone plays to the right, and all yeah. Joe has to do is a little backside cutoff, right? So he's going to cut. He's going to cut on the backside. Yeah. I might be it's giving a, away the strategy here. We're going to run right, <laughs> backside cutoff for Joe, and he can handle rookie Alex Highsmith. Watch out for the spin move, though. Alex has a great spin move that's been really deadly the last couple of weeks. It's a truly ridiculous idea, but one that I would I now desperately want to see. So I there was really want to see him do did that. Did you retweet now. his million? Somebody tweeted him at, in 2019 and said, how many retweets for you to make a comeback? He said a million. Yeah. So people were retweeting it all the other day. It's up to 25,000. That's and I, quite a way short. One of my astute followers said, look, we're a quarter of the way there. He thought it was 100,000. Either thought it was 100,000 or thought he had 250,000. Oh, you retweets. were using astute quite wrongly. Yes. Yeah, I see. I was using it uh, not quite wrongly, uh, ironically. Yeah, I see. So, yeah, the offensive line, the Browns, the number one offensive line in the league based off of our rankings and our grades, all five are questionable or have something going on. Yeah. So that's... A big issue against one of the best, if not the best, defensive fronts in the entire NFL. Yeah. Of all the games, so of all the six games that could be blowouts, the Bills have a chance, right? Yeah. The Saints probably have a chance. Yeah. The, to me, this one has a chance maybe to be the biggest blowout just because of all of the craziness going on with the Browns. Yeah, this it, it this kind of... It, it sucks, right? I feel if, bad. It, I don't want yeah. to say that. I want to see a great game. I think the Browns can. It can does feel tough, like, but. you know, a few weeks ago we were saying, hey, right now Cleveland is rolling and they are going to make the playoffs. They're looking really good. I, nobody wants a piece of the Browns right now. And then they just feel like a team that's just been kicked in the teeth with bad luck, right? They, between COVID and injuries and question marks, like the foundation of this team has just been kicked aside. Like somebody just took a sledgehammer to the keystone that was holding this entire building up. And now it's like one, now it's just one, you know, gentle push away from toppling over to the ground. And it kind of feels like the Steelers have enough to do that, you know? 
it, so these teams obviously played last week as well. I don't think you can glean sort much of. from that. The yeah. Steelers, Mason Rudolph started for the Steelers. You didn't have all their starters out there. The previous game, though, was the one where we started questioning Baker Mayfield's future with the Browns, right? He was struggling. He was okay up until that point through the first five games of the season. And then in week six, he puts up the worst grade at, at Pittsburgh, the worst grade of his career, 32.2 passing grade for Baker Mayfield. He was off and just, you know, wasn't seeing the field. Pick six by Mika Fitzpatrick. It was ugly. Uh, you keep citing Baker's two games, right? At Pittsburgh hmm. and against the Ravens in week one. Even though it wasn't the same Pittsburgh team last week, he bounced back and played much better. Played much better in the rematch against the Ravens. So what do we see in this week? And critically, he should have some receivers to work with. Like, they've been coming back. Um, yeah, I... Out of, out of the hot tub. Yes. Back from the hot tub. <laughs> and the drag racing citation for Rashad Higgins, who also got... Yeah. How much drag racing was going on? With the two of them. I mean, it was those two were drag racing. Early in the morning. Apparently, celebrate. Somebody... TMZ or something had like the video like the, the caught the dash cam of the the, the arrest he's good man. or the citation or whatever the hell it was right and they were like uh <laughs> who what the hell were you doing <laughs> why are you track racing at nine in the morning and i think their excuse was they were like celebrating for having a negative covid test which all right i i sure you i can see you being happy about that i'm not quite sure how you go from Hey, great! We we got cleared from the COVID. To well, they were gonna want to drag race about it. They couldn't make it to Odell's boat. Couldn't make it to the hot tub. So the next thing is drag racing. Anyway, yes. So the Browns are another one of those teams where they so much of their season has been well. Has Baker Mayfield actually been getting back on track, or did he just face a slew of bad defenses? I thought a while ago that the most significant game he'd face late in the season was the second game against Baltimore. Even though there was a really ugly interception in there, generally he took a massive leap forward compared to what he did the first time around. I think the same thing is true for the second Pittsburgh game, albeit against a worse defense because Pittsburgh were playing a lot of backups and it wasn't exactly the same. But that you can offset that by the fact that he wasn't dealing with all his receivers either. Like Baker had some problems in addition to that. So the fact that he had a much better game the second time against Pittsburgh, I think is significant. And really, his season has been all about these continual um, steps forward and uh, challenges overcome that have been put in his way. It's like, can you adjust against this team? Can you play better um, after a bad performance? And all these kinds of things. And I think Baker Mayfield is playing well. And if he had his offensive line and all his receivers, and if he had the, his coach, um, I would actually be kind of confident about Baker Mayfield playing well in this game and having enough to upset a Pittsburgh team that has had their own struggles. Let's try to make a case for the Browns in this one. They have handled, both teams have ha had to handle adversity, um, but the, you know, the, the Steelers having their schedule being just, they, they face more schedule changes than any team based off of COVID, right? The craziest schedules, uh, scheduling changes in the league. But the Browns had to just deal with the game at the Jets a couple weeks ago with no receivers. They had to go into last week you know, with a lot of injuries, and the offensive line has been just all over the place. So they've, ha they've had to face adversity. It's just a little bit more now that they have to face here. The Pittsburgh offense, I think their big question mark is the downfield passing attack. How much can Big Ben get the ball down the field to Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool, J uh, Juju work in the slot? Um, I don't know if they'll need it as much in this game. I'm more worried about that when they have to play a Buffalo or Kansas City or 
you know, some of the high-powered offenses. But where do you see the Pittsburgh offense here heading into the playoffs in, in, in Big Ben? Um, I, I think that's the key to this game because as much as it, it feels sad that the Browns are getting shorn of all this talent and they've just been hit by bad luck, Pittsburgh lost to Cincinnati recently. Like, this is a team that is that almost fell flat in their face late in the season and then looked like they bounced back right at the death. So it isn't beyond the realms of possibility that even a decimated, injured, coachless Cleveland Browns team can spring an upset if Pittsburgh shoots itself in the foot. Um, like the Steelers offense looked like it got itself back on track and looked even better with Mason Rudolph, a quarterback, because he was willing to throw the ball down the field a little bit. If Roethlisberger doesn't, if he goes back in his shell, if he tries to execute you know, a, a mid-century or mid-decade New England Patriots five yards every single pass, passing attack. Like, Cleveland's defense is not good, but the Steelers' offense hasn't been efficient enough to run that against air. Like, they have been the problem, not the defenses they've been facing. So there is a path that Cleveland wins this. I just think it's very unlikely given the, the problems they're dealing with. Browns need big games from Denzel Ward should be back right at corner yeah. Ronnie Harrison came back last week at safety uh, they've lost Olivier Vernon for the season due to injury he was a good complimentary piece to Miles Garrett so it's really Miles Garrett and Sheldon Richardson you know need to create pressure which is tough against the the quick passing game of the Steelers I, I think I know it sounds cliche but the the Browns best players need to need to play step well. up yeah they need to play well I mean you need to see you know, a strip sack from Miles Garrett. I mean, I think you're going to have those types of plays that are necessary. Um, as far as the schematic matchup goes, the Steelers pass rush and just their front, which has been great against the Browns and, and what they what the Browns do, keeping them off balance with the play action game, the boot game and all that stuff. I'm looking forward to that as far as this, this third matchup goes. Um, I will say this about Baker too. He had a little fire last week, right? They yeah. ran, what did they call it? Um, they ran like QB sweep to seal yeah. the deal. And they had, uh, they named it after whatever Colin Cowherd, whatever negative name Colin called uh, Baker before the season. I forget I what it was. I see the name. Baker had a little fire yeah. running the ball and picking up a few, you know, first downs with his legs and I, scrambles and stuff like that. I could see him being that baller that maybe we expected coming out. If their offensive line is viable in this game, the Browns have a chance. If their offensive line is in ribbons because they're decimated by injuries and, and uh, COVID missing players, I they just I don't think that offense it's it's like that offense is a little bit like the Rams where if you take away the offensive line the whole thing just doesn't work it doesn't function. Um, so if that offensive line can just hold its head above water against one of the best defensive fronts in the NFL, if it can just survive to the point where the running backs have some daylight to work with, to the point where Baker Mayfield isn't running for his life every single snap, I think they can have some success against this defense. But if it can't, and I think there's a reasonable bet that it, it won't, just through the, the players are likely missing, I think they're boned. Nick Chubb is the, the Browns dude too yes. that needs to make those plays. I like Pittsburgh in this one as well. Um, you don't you don't have any faith in the Browns once again. Pittsburgh by think, six at the moment. They're going to cover that. It just feels like they've been Brownsed. No weather, huh? No weather. They got they got themselves in position. They broke the drought, and now they've just been hammered with injuries and COVID and right. bad luck. Both taking Pittsburgh Sunday night, six wild card games. Sam, you know, yeah. it used to be the divisional round was like the big weekend. This could be an awesome weekend. 
of wall-to-wall NFL action. So we've covered 12 teams so far, but this the, the next segment's for everybody. It's free agency. We're going to get our first look ahead to free agency. The memes are out there. Podcast meme guy, he knows we love the offseason more than the season sometimes. Mm. And uh, that's what we're going to talk about. So let's go over. The PFF top 100 free agents is out. It's over at pff.com. You and I did a lot of the writing on there. And then shout out to Brad Spielberger. Yeah. He is our new cap expert analyst who has come in. He's put, um, he's created a little contract projection system to kind of like get guys in a very range based off past performance and what they're going to get paid. He's put some predictions in there. So go to pff.com and check out our top 100 free agents. And we're going to continue to add to that list as we go. So let's just start with for today a general overview of free agency where the strengths and weaknesses lie who the top players are and what people can expect once free agency starts if you go by the list though in the top 10 quarterback Dak Prescott sitting at the top three wide receivers with Chris Godwin Allen Robinson Kenny Galladay it's a great safety class there's some good offensive tackles um, and then there's probably going to be a lot of franchise tags that uh that ruin this yeah. list shortly destroy it but it looks like Dak is the prize of the free agent class and then some of these high-end wide receivers yeah it I don't think it's a terrible free agency class because I think the, the top is very strong um obviously Dak Prescott the wide receivers are really good you, you mentioned all the positions I think these the top end of it is actually a, a pretty good group and a lot of uh very good players that are will be attractive to a lot of teams to fill some holes but it falls off really quickly like once you clear that top tier of players this becomes a pretty crappy class like a a fairly desperate group of players that if you didn't get that first group you are desperately hunting for these bargain you know free agents in the second tier that will be there but in order to get to those you have to navigate this minefield of like fool's gold to get to them it's kind of happens every year though when we it's just when does that drop off start when we're ranking yeah, and free I think agents. it's a lot earlier this year than usual yeah and the, the, the challenge is you always hit a point in free agency where it's like well this guy was good two out of the last three years or one out of the last three years or he has an injury concern and you always hit this point whether it's 30th on the list or 40th on the list or wherever it is where guys start to have question marks right um receiver class though chris godwin of the box i think they almost have to franchise him Allen Robinson of the Bears. We'll see what happens with him. Kenny Galladay, all of the Lions wide receivers are free agents. If they let Kenny Galladay walk, I mean, they're, they need four wide receivers. Amendola is a free agent. Marvin Jones. Uh, they almost certainly have to franchise Kenny Galladay, I think. So these, these high-end wide receiver names uh, could be off the board pretty quickly. And then Trent Williams, a free agent for the 49ers. He was our highest-graded tackle in the NFL this year. His third third different season in which he was the highest graded tackle, Trent Williams, 2013, 16, and now 2020. So he'll be one of the top prizes because the drop off at tackle is pretty steep as well. There's some solid offensive tackles, but no elite players like Trent Williams. What about the safety class of, you know, of all the positions? I think this was one of the hardest for us to rank. There's five in the top 25 for us this year. Uh, just at safety and I think you know it's a time in the NFL where those versatile safeties are are quite important yeah and there's a it's a good group Justin Simmons is one of the best free safeties in the NFL and it, for a free safety makes a ton of plays in the box like doesn't just you know drop off play Greg Williams defense 25 miles away from the line of scrimmage 
he will defend the deep middle, but he's also really quick to come up and uh, be a part of the run game, be a part of run fits, be a part of uh, shallow stuff underneath them. Um, then you've got Anthony Harris for Minnesota, who'd been playing phenomenally well until this year, hasn't, hasn't had a great season. But um, safety is one of those volatile positions, right, where it's really hard to maintain an absurdly good level year on year on year. Like legit you, free safety skills and ball skills. Yeah, too, yeah, um, absolutely. And free safety skills and also has shown within that Minnesota scheme that he can play those sort of split safety, safety two high safety looks and, and be good there as well. Those two, I think, are a tier above anybody else. But then you've got Marcus Williams, Marcus May, uh, John Johnson, Xavier Woods. Like, there's a lot of talent at safety. I love Marcus May and what he's done with the Jets because when, when Jamal Adams was there, he was more of the free safety. Jamal Adams goes to Seattle. May showed he could play in the box, cover the slot a little bit, makes a ton of plays. The Jets have already said they want to bring him back. And then John Johnson, I mean, if he didn't get injured, in the middle of this he's got three pretty much elite years or you know high-end years at safety and as much as i love to just commend the ram scheme they they like to mix it up with their two high safeties on the back end and john johnson makes that work um and then even beyond that i think i think safety is the deepest position um safety and receiver when it comes to free agency here i expect a lot of those receivers though like i said to get franchise tagged so i would just keep an eye on the safety market you've got guys like malik hooker and Keanu Neal, former first-round picks who have battled injuries, um, but could be really good reclamation projects. Neal's played this year, and he's been fine. Hooker, I think there's more in the in the tank. Uh, technically, Earl Thomas is a free agent again, yeah. so we might he didn't make our top 100. But you know, there's a point where we, we might just throw him out there and say, look, he's he's out there if if you still want to bring him back with all the the off-field stuff. So Malik I Hooker think the safety and, position uh, is something to keep an eye on. Hooker and Keanu Neal interestingly would make a really intriguing tandem in the right scheme oh my gosh if you actually combine the two of them i want to see hooker in that true you know single high center field free i think he's really good in that role he had to play a lot more too high stuff uh, with the colts Um, interior offensive line is a little weaker here so you have a guy like brandon sheriff for the football team who makes the top 100 at number nine and I think he'll be coveted along with Joe Tooney, the other top 15 guard. We put him at 14, but there's not a whole lot of other guards or centers. Uh, Corey Lindsley is the top center for the Packers. Those three players, Brandon Scherf, Joe Tooney, Corey Lindsley, if you need offensive line help on the interior, it gets a lot sketchier once you get past those guys. Lindsley is number 26. Yeah, and Lindsley's really intriguing because um, he the gap between him and the next best center this league or this season has been one of the biggest gaps between the like number one and number two players at any position in the NFL. He's allowed, I think, two pressures all season long. Yeah. Two. Now centers don't allow a lot of pressure anyway, but still, two pressures over a season when you've got Aaron Rodgers as your quarterback is quite an achievement. Um and he's been run blocking extremely well as well. He's only twenty nine, I think. He like Sender's one of those positions where sometimes teams just can't get it right you know it's a problem area and you spend the next six seven years trying to find a center you can just hold his head above water like if you're one of those teams that struggled and there's a few of them out there you could just immediately fix that right and get an all-pro player in Lindsley go get Corey Lindsley let's talk about the quarterbacks for a second we mentioned Dak if he hits free agency is the top guy right last year at this time Dak was technically a free agent Tom Brady was a free agent. I never thought I'd see the day that he actually hit free agency. Yeah. Drew Brees was technically a free agent for a minute. Uh, Philip yeah. Philip Rivers, Marcus Mariota, um, 
Ryan Tannehill was a free agent. There was way more. Jameis. Jameis, and there's, you know, some of them are coming back. Uh, but there was way more starting caliber quarterbacks, and last year got hectic. This year you have Dak, you have Phillip Rivers, who it feels like it's either like, let's sign another one-year deal with the Colts, or, or does he explore other places? Does he go to New England for a year, or Denver for a year? Who knows? But Rivers, I think, is the second option. You have a guy like Ryan Fitzpatrick, who is playing his last three seasons are his highest graded seasons of his career okay <laughs> yeah and he's almost our age sam God. so fitzpatrick and then you still have Jameis winston out there you have cam newton and andy dalton out there two guys who you know people may have soured on this year for various reasons based off how they played and um, but they're all free agent tyrod taylor mitchell trubisky jacoby Brissett. so there's a lot of backup caliber quarterback talents and then you know maybe some low-end starters yeah, um, <laughs> Trubisky, assuming he didn't play his way into a contract extension with the Bears, which is... True, you know, we'll see. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. I, I don't think this is a great year for finding starting caliber quarterbacks. Um, at least, I mean, you would have to have a young quarterback who needs a kick up the ass in terms of like a Ryan Fitzpatrick coming in to make you worry about your job. Uh, but there's no one... Philip Rivers is the only one there where you can say, yeah, we're comfortable plugging this guy right in. Uh, for 2021 as our starter and thinking we can achieve something everybody else is like we're in a crappy situation we need something and let's hope this works out that's the most attractive philip rivers destinations are going to be something like the colts where it's like i know you're an upgrade from jacoby Brissett, right and that's why if denver was take to take a shot on him they say we know you're an upgrade from drew lock right and other than that it's like okay can you find a Philip Rivers caliber quarterback? A lot of teams already have a Philip Rivers caliber quarterback. He was a mid-tier quarterback for us each of the last two years. I want to finish up talking about cornerback because this is another interesting class, and it's it's an important one because you got to stop the pass in today's NFL, and we have a bunch of guys who make the top 100 just off positional value alone. Uh, there's going to be uh, about 15 or 20 guys in the top 100, including William Jackson, who's our top guy. And again, all of these guys come with question marks. Yeah. And some of them are slot corners, and some of them are getting old. William Jackson and Richard Sherman are the only two who make the top 20, but there's a bunch of guys making the top 100. What do you make of these corners? You're right. There's various question marks about everybody in this group, but there's some really intriguing players because of that. Um, you know, you go all the way down to the 60s, and you get a guy like Jason Verrett, who – He's played like 2,000 snaps in his career, 800 of which came this year. But his talent is undeniable and unquestioned. Like, he is a top-tier cornerback when he's healthy, but he's gone on this absurd run of not being able to stay healthy. And this year, like, the 49ers were finally paid off for the gamble that they'd taken on him for, like, the last few seasons of, well, sure, I mean, if we get Jason Verrett, if he finally stays healthy, we get a starting cornerback for nothing. They did. They got it this year. And then, ironically, Richard Sherman missed most of the season, so they couldn't, like, profit really off it. But, like, Jason Verrett, if he has finally got injuries in his past, even if they've taken a little bit of something off his game, like, this year was good. It wasn't as good as he had his last healthy season. 2015, by the way. Right, which yeah. is a hell of a long time ago. So even if you say that, yeah, he's lost something, he's not what he once was, he's still good. Um, and you could get that, you know, that kind of production for not an awful lot. And then, you know, by the like, way, we need we need like our biggest fans to go back and get all of our Jason Verrett free agent takes from like the last five years because we've probably said the same thing. Like, yeah. take a shot on him, take a shot on him. Five years later, it paid off as you mentioned yeah. for the Niners, which is a gamble worth taking. Yeah. You know, if you get to take this guy, he gets injured, you stash him on IR. Okay, I mean, it didn't what did it cost you? Now you actually 
get the payoff, which is a really good season from a cornerback, which is absurdly valuable. Um, a guy like Xavier Rhodes looked like he was toast in Minnesota, and it turned out that actually he was just playing injured and being hung out to dry. And when you let the guy get healthy, he can have a really good season again. So there's starting caliber players deep into this group. It's just that there's huge risk attached to almost all of them. Uh, I want to talk about Ronald Darby, too. He's another guy who's had like three out of five five years have been really, really good, uh, or four out of six, whatever it is. He's been really good outside corner. And every year we tell teams, sign Ronald Darby. And then last year it was he was terrible for the Eagles, hits free agency again. And he's the highest graded corner on the football team right now. So he is part of the reason why Washington has one of the best defenses in the league. When you pair it with that pass rush, Darby's been really good covering on the outside. So he hits free agency once again. You have Richard Sherman, as I mentioned out there. What does he still have left in the tank at this point? You have some really intriguing slot corners like a Desmond King, who's playing this weekend for the Titans, Mike Hilton for the Steelers. Again, guys who are going to play this weekend um, and fill specific roles on the defense. And then, you know, Patrick Peterson also hits free agency, a guy who's looked nothing like the first 10 years of his career where he was awesome. The last two years have been yep. uh, pretty poor, and he ends up at 71 on the top 100. So it's an intriguing free agent class, probably not as strong as last year, but we're going to talk it up anyway because we want you guys to follow all of our free agent coverage. It's going to be awesome. Um, we'll be covering uh, all of the offensive and defensive players. We'll have little segments and, and get into even more detail. But overall, I would say receiver, safety, the strengths of the class, intriguing corners, uh, defensive line isn't great, and then offensive line, you get some high-end players if that's what you have if, if that's what your team needs you might have to spend a little bit to go get some of those better offensive linemen because the uh the drop off is pretty steep there so so that'll do it for us today it's wild card weekend yep with a little bit of off-season discussion when Six it comes to free games. agency we're going to be back on monday and i think what we'll do going forward we'll review the games and then we'll have another little you know forward look at free agency or draft segment so that everybody's included, so mm -hmm. that all 32 you know, fan bases have something to look forward to on the PFF NFL podcast. Um, you also have something to look forward to in your inbox every single day with the PFF NFL Daily, so go and subscribe to it if you haven't already. The, the show's up by the time you wake up. So you wake up, listen to Sam and Steve to start your day for about 10 minutes, and then you can listen to the big pod you know, twice a week. So we'll be back Monday reviewing all of the wildcard action. Thanks to everybody for tuning in.